I'm supposed to avoid legal snags by telling you that I'm recording. No. <laughs> that is helpful. <laughs> Thank you, Skype. Will is theoretically on the call. I am. I was. You didn't hear me earlier? No. Hey, I'm just seeing my microphone settings. It's probably... Hey, Will. How's it going? <laughs> I just... I just listened to your guys' voices today, listening to the final episode or the final recording of Spartacus. So in my mind, your voices are very um, recent, but I, I know you recorded that back in, what, April? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> months ago. <laughs> yeah. And, can, and so when did the last one come out? Like the one before then? That would have been way before April, probably. Uh, it was in March, I think. Oh, because you held on to it until we were... Yeah. We took our time, didn't we? <laughs> I don't hold on to anything. I just, it, it, it happens when it happens. That's fair. It's a hobby. We're not professionals. We don't have to do this week in and week out and then demand money from you for our donation drive and our Patreon and all that other stuff. So you get it when you get it. <laughs> Head over to our Patreon page. And <laughs> free, is, free is free. No. <laughs> uh. Free is free. That's I, exactly true. I'll, I'll miss Spartacus, though. Though it has a connection to the show we're going to talk about tonight. Yes, it does. So, I guess we both did a little fun fact gathering. No, I didn't. I have no idea what the connection is. So oh, it would be a surprise for surprise Will. <laughs> Welcome to the IKEA family. Okay. Wait. The fuck? Who is H-E-J? Okay. Never mind. Sorry. I must have entered my initials wrong, or they made up a name for me. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I just Will- set up an IKEA account. Sorry. You opened an Will- IKEA account. <laughs> Will always brings up the most random things during recording. <laughs> I was trying to finish that before we started, but I didn't get a chance to. I was surprised how expensive IKEA is. I always thought it was cheap. I think no. it might be cheaply made, but it's not cheap to buy. <laughs> You think you'd save money on the labor since you're do- you're providing the labor yourself, putting it all together? Yeah, you think so? All right, well, are you ready to get started? Oh, I have to say, I ordered a, a dice tower on Etsy tonight, and I'm super excited for them to paint it and send it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you. Fo- I'll take photos of it when it comes. We'll see. I went to my shopping cart. Uh, now I gotta go find it again. God damn it! Okay. Well, this is Hooplecast. <laughs> It's been a while. It's been a while. I have reasons why. Why not recording? I'll just say it's COVID-related stress mm. for me yeah, and my that, co-hosts. There's a lot of that going around, so you're not alone in that thinking. It's just. It seems like it would be a welcome distraction, but it takes time to put episodes together. I would have to ask my co-hosts to commit to watching two pilots, which might be two hours or slightly more, and then another three hours of recording. So it's like, how can I ask you right now in all this craziness for five to six hours of your time? And then I would have to go through the pains of editing and publishing. And it's just like, I just don't have energy. It's like, it takes all the energy I can to, you know, just make it through the work week. Even though my job is pretty low stress compared to like a respiratory therapist or somebody like that. But our co-host Carol is a special needs teacher and I know that she is very challenged by the environment today and I just don't want to impose on her. I just want to check in on her every month and say, are you doing okay? Okay. Figuring when she's ready to get back into a routine, she'll let me know. So 
that's kind of why there hasn't been any HBO Project update. I also sent her my Blu-rays of The Leftovers, and I was like, so that she could watch it before we recorded the uh, about that show. And I think she couldn't find her Blu-ray player, and then I didn't want to make her watch one of the most depressing shows <laughs> right now. <laughs> so I was like, you know what, we'll just not record, I guess. And that That's was a, fair. That was one of the reasons. And then the other reason is that Matt Mel, Will, and I were supposed to go to Europe, and that didn't happen, but... We had already put in hours of trip planning, and it was hard to spend hours, like, take... I didn't want to take hours of their time, Matt and Mel, and then, you know, trip planning, and then, like, okay, and then also record a podcast. And then also be in the same Airbnb for two weeks. I would... <laughs> I think they would murder me. And for the sake of the friendship, I didn't want to do that. So that's why we have not... Those are two the big reasons why we haven't recorded but yeah i'm sad you guys didn't go on that trip uh you know you you really would have enjoyed it um i'm, I'm, I'm sad for you that thank you didn't you. go yeah. yeah i think most of the places you were planning on going to i've been there and they're they're pretty spectacular so we were going to see all the outlander locations <laughs> <laughs> which uh is funny because um i had was the only person who had seen the show at that time, but now Will and Mel are watching it. So if when we finally do go, we could be like, oh, that's where Claire and Jamie had sex. Oh, that's where Claire and Jamie had sex. And we could, you know, all the places. <laughs> It'll be more meaningful to you this time around. Indeed. Um, anyway, we're here to talk about Lovecraft Country, the premiere. name of the premiere is Sundown, and it premiered on August 16th. And I wanted to talk about it because I am a big fan of the book by Matt Ruff, which came out a couple years ago, I think. And I first heard about it because it was on someone's recommended book list. It was like, oh, you should read this book. And I thought it sounded interesting. And I picked it up and it actually surprised me because I did not expect the, the kind of book that it ended up being um, structure-wise was kind of a shock to me because it turned out to be an anthology more than a novel. Hmm. Uh, have you, either of you read it? So no, I have not read it, and um, so I'm I'm coming into this show kind of blind, not knowing what to expect, and um, so I I'm I'm going to keep it that way. I'm I'm not going to go uh, search for for spoilers on the on the internet. I'm just gonna I'm gonna let it uh, unfold as uh, as the season goes through. I actually did read the book. I actually finished the book like maybe six or seven hours before the premiere. I was I meant to finish it a lot sooner, but you know, way. But yeah, I actually don't know what I expected the book to be. But I guess with another name, Lovecraft Country, I should have expected some supernatural uh, elements in it and some craziness. But yeah, and as far as the structure, yeah, I'm reading it and I'm like you know, it's been a while since. We've heard from these characters. Why are they focusing on this character? I thought it was about, you know, these people, but, you know, you know kept uh, changing. And then you get about, I think I was about 30 pages from the end, and I'm thinking, oh, there's no way they're going to wrap this all up by the end of the book. <laughs> and, and, I was just, and there must be a sequel that I don't know about. But, yeah, they wrapped it up by the end of the book, and it was, you know, it was satisfying. It didn't feel, you know, too rushed. To me, it read like a season of TV. But specifically, 90s TV, where if you think about the X-Files or Star Trek, where week to week you get a different tone or a different, like, let's say it's Star Trek. So it's like, this week it's Deanna Troy, and next week it's a Worf episode, and then a Geordi episode. So, so 
something like that, but like sometimes it's suspenseful or horror or philosophical or romantic or a comedy episode. Like that kind of week to week tonal shift is something that's not that common right now. And I kind of wish that more shows were like that because sorry, Star Trek Discovery, but all your episodes run together and I can't tell one from another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny so you we- say that because I th- it was written in the back of the book um, where the author said, I think it was this one, the author said that the idea for this book came from a pitch for a TV show he gave. He wanted it to be like an X-Files like TV show, but it ended up becoming you know, this book. Unless I'm just jamming stuff together. I think it was this one. Yeah. I don't remember that I read that, but it wouldn't surprise me. So reading it, I was like, oh, this is... Um- it starts with Atticus, and that's the episode we got. And then after that, I think it goes to Letitia, and her episode is just not episode. Her chapter is like its own self-contained story. But the characters keep showing up throughout, so expect to see Uncle George pop up every now and then. But then expect an Uncle George chapter where it's from his point of view. But it'll be totally different than the one other chapter that you just read. And then it there's like an underlying kind of mythology sort of sprinkled throughout. I'm like, this, it felt like a TV show. And when we, I got to the last chapter, I'm like, okay, and then this is the season finale. So right. I'm very delighted that that the show, from what I've read from early reviews, is going to follow that formula and isn't going to like chuck everything out the window the way that, say, True Blood did. And it's just like, well, that's a good basis, but we're going to do our own thing. And sometimes that works. And sometimes you're just like, no, I really want the I really want the thing that I had. And then season two, when there's no more book material, well, then they'll they'll do their own thing at that point. So anyway, um, I guess we could talk about the show in of itself. Did we like how it started? <laughs> that was weird. I don't know. Apparently they threw in a lot of references from other stories. I didn't, I was just like, what the hell is this? <laughs> This isn't in the book. Like, what is this? I guess I shouldn't compare it to the book the whole time, but that's what I was thinking when I saw it. So yeah, the so the the opening sequence, which was like a dream sequence, which is it's a bold move to start with a a dream sequence, just a, a mishmash of different things uh, going on. And I figured they the the show tried to do that for two reasons, right? So one, they were trying to set up uh, the main characters you know, frame of mind, things that are just, you know, free flow of consciousness, what's going on in his mind, right? So you, you had the mashup of um, some kind of war scene, which um, I think you're you're supposed to get that it's the Korean War, though that wasn't clear from, from that scene. Um, his, his love of sci-fi, and you got, you know, flying saucers. Um, and then Jackie Robinson, which is, you know, um, a personal hero, maybe. Um and then second, by introducing all those things, that mishmash, you're kind of setting the time frame. Um, so you, you have to know that uh, War of the Worlds, you know, with the flying saucers, that, you know, that movie came out in 1953. So that, that kind of sets you in 1953, right? And if you know that it's the Korean War that's being depicted, you know, Korean War was, you know, 1950 to 1953. So now you're, you're kind of setting yourself there. And Jackie Robinson, you know, broke the color barrier in 1947. So some sometime after 1947, when, you know, um, uh, he was MVP in 1949. So somewhere around there where he, he would have been, you know, hero to 
to a lot of people. So it was trying to do two different things kind of, and I don't know if it was very successful. It was very confusing. And it was a lot is what I'll say. It was a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. I think, I mean, what you're saying is it's all true. But I also think there's another reason, which is we got to tell people up front what the show is like tonally um, or what kind of genre to expect. And it's like, just have to start with something big and action packed and grand to because we got it what if we just ease people into it oh they'll get bored and and tune out right away like we gotta hook them with something but well. to me it was just like god there's just like a, it's like a there's a lot happening here so i don't know if that was <laughs> the best <laughs> approach it's not the only hbo show that it starts with a dream sequence too i'm thinking of carnival when ben wakes up from like a bunch of junk being thrown at him, <laughs> which is kind of how I would have been fine with Atticus just waking up on the bu- on the bus. Then again, yes. I've read the book, so I already know that like what what will happen, and I'm like I would trust the showrunner that things would pay off. But I feel like it felt pretty generic, actually, the way that it opened. Sorry. Yes, yeah, so the episode of pretty strong. You know, there was a prologue that included that dream sequence and uh, him on the bus from you know. Kentucky on its way to Chicago, right? Then there was a uh, act one, which was in Chicago, uh, introducing all the characters. Act two was kind of the road trip, which I, I think is the strongest element. Oh, it's the, the strongest. Definitely the best part of the, of the episode. Although that looked like a really fun block party. <laughs> and then act three was just full on horror movie. And, you know, <laughs> that was fun. I like the the fun elements to that, and then th- there was an epilogue, which was just you know showing up at the mansion. But you know, so the the structure, the el- or the episode was there, but starting with that dream sequence was I don't know, that was rough. That that might have been a mistake for me. A really good main title sequence would have set the tone, I think, better than having. They could have layered on horror and cultural references, topical stuff from the time period in a really good main title sequence, which is what we might get next week. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping we will, but it's like, I would have, that would have been a better way. Maybe. I mean, it remains to be seen what the titles will look like, but perhaps that would have been better than a dream sequence. Um, although it did get a nice scene um, between the woman on the bus and Atticus, who I, he was telling her about John Carter mm-hmm. and, it's like, oh, this uh, ex-Confederate soldier like goes to Mars, and she's like, uh, uh what now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, I, 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 we don't have to recap the entire plot, um, but this scene is pretty essential to the core of the book, or one of the tenets of the book, which is how are you, especially as a black man, like reconciling your love for the material from an author who is possibly racist i don't know who um if um is it edgar rice burroughs i don't know like his story but obviously hp lovecraft is a nightmare human yeah <laughs> but um it's like you know how do you separate art from the artist which is always a struggle for like for everybody but i think especially for somebody like atticus like he loves pulpy horror things and his father who we haven't met yet but is going to be michael k williams yes. is like how can you read this stuff? First of all, he probably thinks it's dribble, but he's also like, you know, the the guys who write these books would spit in your face. Like, how could you stand to read anything like this? 
He's like, well, you know, like, what are my options? Like, I love this kind of stuff, and I just have to, like, separate it in my mind. Yeah, but, cherish the stories, and you forget the flaws, whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So I think that's – so that scene between the, the woman on the bus and Atticus is like – it really gets to the heart of Atticus as a person and also the, the divide between him and his father and his father and his uncle. So a very essential scene. Yeah, I like that scene, uh, especially when the, the bus breaks down and they're kind of waiting for another ride mm-hmm. uh, to show up. And you, the the music in the background, it's like the first first element of music in this show and the, like, the screeching violin strings telling you, telling the audience that this is a, a dangerous situation that they, they need to avoid. Like getting on the back of that truck is, is not an option for them. So um, just the, uh, having that, that extra layer of music uh, coming in was was pretty key. Then we go to Chicago and the block, the block party. And, <laughs> well, first we get a we get this lovely scene between Uncle um, George, Uncle George, and, and Hippolyta. Uh, Hippolyta is that her name? Yeah, yeah. I always say Hippolyta. I don't know what's the right. It's a weird <laughs> name. I mean, yeah. <laughs> regardless, it's it's a strange name. Um, possibly my favorite character from the book. I think so. I I love her. I won't say really more about it, but she has a very tender relationship with her husband, and who's played by Courtney B. Vance, and they're they're super sweet. It took me a while to realize who that was. Like, I know who that guy is. I just can't put my finger on it. But oh, it's Courtney B. Vance. He's <laughs> awesome. Well, I feel like I haven't seen him. Like I've, I know who he is. I've seen him in a lot of things, but he's never really had like a breakout role for me. Yeah. Um, most recently I saw him as Johnny Cochran in American Crime Story. <laughs> he was in 111 episodes of Law and Order Criminal Intent. That's not exactly a show that really stretches you as an actor, I don't think. And then I'm looking through his credits and I'm like, yeah, I've seen him in stuff. I certainly know who he is, but Hollywood never made him star. So I love that he's in the show because I feel like this will put the spotlight on him. Yeah, now, I think that he's a good choice for Uncle George. I thought it was interesting that they um, gender swapped the child. Hmm, did they? Yeah, because they had a son named Horace in the book. But she's Diana, which goes along better with the Hippolyta name, because isn't Wonder Woman's mother named Hippolyta? Oh, yeah. Ooh, I don't know. That's a good connection. I think so. Yeah, so... Uh, Act 1, the the Chicago, it's all about setting up the, the different characters. Um, which it, it does a good job setting up the characters, but there, there's a little bit of clunky dialogue with that. Um, you know, the, you know, they say, Oh, Hey, your, your nephew's back in town. You know, <laughs> it's like, Oh, you gotta, you gotta tell the audience that this person is your nephew. Okay. It's related to you. And like, Oh, Hey Ruby, it's your sister. Oh, uh, okay. So <laughs> a little, little clunky, uh, you know, dialogue, which I don't think happens in normal life, but, uh, I guess it's a quick way to set up, uh, kind of introductions to characters and relationships. Uh, Game of Thrones, the first episode of Game of Thrones did the same thing, you know, saying, Oh, look, that's your twin brother, Jamie. And like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that famously, they had to reshoot that pilot because even like the, it was even more leaden, and yet people were still confused by yeah. things. So, 
So that's what you get with Act One with setting I, up all the characters. It's a pilot. I mean, you got to You got. There's a lot of heavy lifting that has to go into a pilot. So yeah. Now, Journey Smollett. Uh, yes. Uh, I know her best from the movie Eve's Bayou, which is one of my favorite movies. If have I, either of you seen Eve's Bayou? She, no. Yeah, she's she's <laughs> she's a little terror in that movie. <laughs> she's great, though. <laughs> she's great. She's great. <laughs> uh, no, the most recent I, I saw her in um, what Birds of Prey and the Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. So she yeah. she plays Black Canary in that one. So that that's the most recent. And of course, she's she's been in an episode of Twilight Zone. So that's probably the the connection with uh, Jordan Peele. And she was in Underground with WGN America Underground with uh, creator writer Misha Green. So they they've worked okay. together. Yeah, which I've never, I never saw it. Uh, I heard really good things, but then WGN decided to cancel all of their scripted programming and just unceremoniously dumped all of it. And I was just like, well, maybe I don't want to watch that show then. If it doesn't no, have a good ending. Maybe it does. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. I first probably remember, well, besides Eve's Bayou, I remember her from Friday Night Lights, which was one of my favorite shows back when it was on. Yeah, well, she was a teenager then. She was yeah. a little kid, and he was by you. Before then, she was on Full House. Oh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Cooper, hanging with Mr. Cooper. Can, oh, we, can yeah. we get that? Yeah, I actually <laughs> did watch that. Yeah, I watched it too. Uh, she was in HBO's True Blood. She, she was. I hated. Well, I, you know, I don't like True Blood, but I hated her character on True Blood. <laughs> she was like a werewolf groupie or something. It was not. It was not good. But it was not a good show, so I can't really. Hold that one against her. I guess that's our rundown of the actors. Well, I listen to uh, Lovecraft Radio, which is the the companion podcast How'd to this go? show. Uh, it was pretty good. So uh, the the two hosts are um, one's one of the writers, so Shannon Houston, one of the writers, and um, she she talked about uh, Journey Smollett Bell, um, the kind of behind the scenes debate of casting a light skin. Um, actress for the, for the lead role. You want you want to celebrate, you know, black actors. You know, maybe we shouldn't cast this light skin girl. Um, and you, you kind of see she she has on screen scenes with a, a sister and a brother. Both her sister and brothers are darker skinned than she is. Um, but you know they they kind of went back and forth. And of course, by you know white European standards, she's more attractive than her sister Ruby, and they they share a scene. And you can kind of tell there's some animosity between the two of them, and maybe it is because you know one's lighter skin, she can kind of you know get you know pass in society a little easier. So maybe maybe that um, that helped with uh, the casting of that. You know, Letty. What, Letty? Letty is um, more fearless in white society, for sure. You know that's kind of seen a couple times, um, and maybe she's been given a little bit more opportunities because of her lighter skin. So they kind of they worked with um, that actress and working that into the story. Yeah, I can definitely see that as a point of um, possible story avenues to explore. But my impression from Ruby and Letitia, like their dynamic, was more about Letitia's kind of lack of responsibility and that was like the wedge that between them although the wedge did not seem that pronounced 
it was just sort of like, you can crash with me, but you're irresponsible and you gotta be gone in two days. And also, um, Ruby thinks Letitia's a little too, um, uh, not, maybe not naive, but, oh sure, you're gonna go down to that department store and get a job. Yeah, of course she will. What yeah. like, like she's a dreamer or she's just like immature, I guess. Kind of jumped out though how different they, they looked. Um, not just in melanin content, but in body shape as well. They didn't seem biologically related, but I'm willing to look past it because you get two great actors and that's fine. I also don't believe that they're really the fifties. So <laughs> I can suspend my disbelief. <laughs> Well, they, they both are good singers, and uh, I mentioned, you know, uh, Birds of Prey. She sings in Birds of Prey as well, so. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, it's on my, my list. Yeah, that was a fun block party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, too bad we're in a pandemic. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been. Do you get nervous when you see crowds on TV? And you're like, oh, wait, they filmed this, like, years ago. <laughs> I've had the the song "Life Could Be a Dream" shaboom like in my head now for two days, and then as I'm singing it, I, then I go shaboom shaboard, <laughs> just like Ruby said, shaboom shaboard. It is a pretty fucking boring song. <laughs> kind of an earworm, though. Mm-hmm. Did you know, um, Steve, that Michael Kenneth Williams was going to show up as Atticus's dad? Uh, Did I spell I... that for you? No, I, I knew the the actor was involved. I was upset that I didn't get to see him in the first episode. You know, he's. And, and that's that's one that you know I like from you know HBO's The Wire and uh, what Boardwalk Empire. So he's he's been around you know HBO quite often, and uh, so yeah, I, w- I was excited to see him, and I didn't get to see him in the first episode. So oh, he better make a, a big impact sec- second episode, or I'm out. No. <laughs> <laughs> they could have done something with him in the as like a teaser. Anyway, this in the point, dream listen, sequence. Instead of a dream sequence, they could have shown him doing something. I don't know, but I don't want to rewrite the sh- rewrite the pilot <laughs> more than I already have. Did you want to tell us the connection between Lovecraft Country and Spartacus? Uh, so uh, I mentioned Misha Green as being the creator and writer. So her writing credits include 13 episodes of FX Son of, of An- Anarchy, which I, I love that show. Um, two episodes of HBO's Heroes. And two episodes of Stars Spartacus. Okay. The name. I probably said her name not realizing it was uh, she or because Misha can be a guy's name too, right? Right. So she wrote um, Beneath the Mask, which is part of that prequel season, uh, episode four of that season. And then uh, Chosen Path of season two, episode six. So both of those are kind of middle of the season episodes, so they might not stand out. Beneath the Mask and Chosen Path. Oh, those showrunners always take the best ones for themselves and leave them. That's right. Yeah, they're staffed for the the plebs. Yeah. You meant to say NBC's heroes, but I'll forgive you because that show was also garbage. (laughs) (laughs) They had one really good season. Yeah, I guess. Um, (laughs) And I noticed you didn't credit her three episodes of Helix. You know, no. <laughs> everyone's favorite sci-fi channel show, Helix. Oh, boy. <laughs> that show was so boring. Oh, so you mentioned that they gender-swapped the child. They also changed the surnames of the characters, and I'd yeah. love to know why. Wasn't he Atticus Turner in the book? 
Yeah, it was Atticus Turner. His uncle was a, a Barry, I think. George Barry, I think. And she was Letitia Dandridge. Yeah. And I know that because I created a Guild Wars 2 character named Letitia Dandridge, and I'm like, fuck, <laughs> I, I, now i got to change the name. I mean, I, I don't have to, but I'm kind of torn if I should or not. <laughs> Make her Letitia Lewis. <laughs> Maybe it's one of those things where those are real people, and they, they didn't want to... You know, have to pay those real people or couldn't get the rights to those those names. Oh, maybe. I'd I'd just like to know why. Like, what was the reason behind that? Maybe the, if they tell us on the podcast, I'm, I'll probably listen to the podcast. But if in the case I don't, will you let me know <laughs> if it comes up? <laughs> Definitely a different perspective. It's it's two women of color. So as you'll you're, you'll hear a different perspective than you know us three guys talking about it. What? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So they go on uh, on the road trip to find Atticus's father. They call him Tick for a very long time. So you were talking about how they hit you over the head with what names of people and their relationships to each other. But I kept waiting for them to say his actual name and instead of just Tick. And I think. Unless they said it like early on the bus in that scene, I feel like it went a really long time before they said that Atticus was his full name. The only time I remember it is when they're in the cabin uh, in Act Three when they're being attacked by by monsters. Uncle George says Atticus. Yeah, that's the only time I, I remember. So he was under under stress when he said it. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know if that's something, but it's the only time I can remember. He was. I mean, you say he was under stress in the cabin, but I feel like he was under stress for most of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, not at the block party. Well, maybe even then, because yes, he got a war, uh, warm homecoming, but then he makes this call to Korea, which at first he starts telling the phone number, and I'm like, that's way too many numbers for a phone number. Where are we going with this? <laughs> it's like, oh, you want to go talk to Korea? I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. But there's a woman on the other line that he must have, I'm going to guess, fell in love with and left or something. We'll yeah, see. So, so a uh, Korean girl, South Korean girl that he fell in love with while he was in the war, the Korean War, and yeah. kind of left her. That's behind. my guess. I don't know if that's in the book or not. but No, I don't remember that in the book. Uh, so in the dream sequence, the the princess of Mars, the red-skinned uh, woman that comes down, I think that's the same actress as the, the woman on the phone. So, so yeah. I, but uh, yeah, it, it, it leaves a mystery. It's probably the one of the bigger mysteries of the, of the episode. And we'll get her perspective. We do an anthology. We'll, we'll, we'll hear, hear the conversation from her side. <laughs> uh, flashbacks. Maybe she shows up at his in Chicago. Oh, you just missed him. You left from Massachusetts. <laughs> as long as she doesn't float down on a beam of light, that's, you know. Maybe that's her power. <laughs> Was it Lovecraft Country Radio you mentioned? Yeah. Lovecraft Country Radio. I remember liking a tweet from one of the writers the other day, and it turns out that she's, I guess she's one of Shannon Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's one of the hosts. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, she sounds like a, a big fangirl. Like, she she was so excited for this show. Um, so she comes off very, very strong. Um, so we're, we're talking about the uh, road trip, which I think is the strongest element of the episode. And um, <laughs> the... It starts with uh, the 
audio, you know, voiceover of uh, James Baldwin. Did you guys um, research James Baldwin at all? I did. I know who he is, and you know, I didn't do any research. I, w- I wanted to read the the speech or this excerpt from the speech. Was a debate, I guess, mm-hmm. um, because I'm I'm listening to it, but I'm not making sense of it. And w- even when I read it, I couldn't make a lot of sense of it. I I think it's just it's a lot of circular reasoning, and without the full context, it's like. Okay, I think I see what you're driving at, but just to take that out and layer it on top of everything else we're trying to keep track of, like I, I appreciate, I would probably appreciate it more on a rewatch. But tr- I was trying to absorb like 20 different things at that during that sequence. Did you want to talk more like what who that who he was and what that part was about? Uh, so the the only facts I have is it's from a debate uh, from uh, February 1965. So it's actually set in the future of this episode, right? So if this episode's 1953, it's you know 12 years into the future, but you know it's it's still still relevant. So, uh, but he was uh, debating William Buckley Jr. Um, talking about uh, segregation and the American dream at the University of Cambridge, and uh, I've got a, a, a link I'll I'll post into the Facebook group of the speech you can actually watch the whole thing but um yeah i, I thought it was it's interesting he he starts off with a question and that this is in the episode um he asks uh, is the american dream at the expense of the american negro or the american dream is at the expense of the american negro and um he goes on to say the the response to that question depends on where you find yourself in the world, what your sense of reality is, what your system of reality is. And that is, uh, it depends on assumptions, which we hold so deeply so as to be scarcely aware of them. And I think that's what you're supposed to take out of, you know, for this, sh- this whole series is that um, it depends on your sense of reality, what, um, how you answer that question. And maybe the sense of reality plays as a, a major theme to the series. So um, I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to that. Uh, I mean, I would hate to disagree with him, <laughs> but, uh, I would, first of all, his, his two questions seem identical to me. Um, and then I would say, I mean, too much, too often today, people enjoy their own senses of reality and it doesn't change the actual reality. Like we have people right now saying COVID doesn't exist. Does COVID exist? Well, I guess it depends on your sense of reality. It really doesn't. It exists. <laughs> was the American dream at the expense of the Negro? Yes, I would say yes. I don't think that's a hard question, but okay. <laughs> uh, well, he's asking, is the American dream possible without um, the expense of the American Negro? You know, without putting down a whole group of people, would the American dream even be possible? Well, if that's what he's saying, it was a little roundabout way of saying it, which may be a tactical thing on his behalf. But mm-hmm. um, I think the interesting thing is that that's what that bit of dialogue is from the future. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's it's still uh, so there's there there's a section later in the speech that is not played during the episode. Um, but if if you'll indulge me, I'll I'll read it. Yeah, read um, it. It comes as a great shock to discover that the country which is your birthplace and to which your life and uh, identity has not in its whole system of reality evolved any place for you. 
the disaffection uh, and the gap between people only on the basis of their skins begins there and accelerates throughout your whole lifetime. You realize that you are 30 and you are having uh, having a terrible time. You have been through a certain kind of mill and the most serious effect is again, not the catalog of disasters, the police, the taxi driver, the waiters, the landlady, the banks, the insurance companies, the millions of details, 24 hours a day, which spell out to you that you are a worthless human being. It is not that. Uh, By that time, you have begun to see it happening to your own daughter, your son, and your niece, and your nephew. You are 30 by now, and nothing you have done has helped you escape the trap. Uh, But what is worse is that nothing you have done, and as far as you can tell, nothing you can do, will save your son or your daughter from having the same disaster uh, and from coming to that same end. Um, So we see in this episode, we see the policeman, the waiter, the guy at the gas station, uh, and... Uncle George is, um, he's going on this road trip to develop a travel guide to avoid the trap, but there's really nothing that uh, he can do to break the system, you know, to escape the trap. And, uh, you know, he falls into the trap even on this road trip. Um, And so, and now he's watching his daughter or, you know, his nephew suffering from the same fate that he experienced um, and that's, that's the systemic part of systemic racism. I mean, it's just, it's, um, it's a, a trap you just can't do anything about, even if you try, you know, try to avoid and you just generation after generation. Um, it's, it's, it, and so I thought that part of James Baldwin's debate, um, was more prescient to the episode than that, uh, leading question, but, um, yeah, it's it, it's really really interesting to to kind of see where they're going with that. Yeah, I I like that part a lot more. But maybe they thought it was too on the nose or less artful or something. I don't know why they picked that other section of it. But it wasn't interesting. I mean, stylistically, it was interesting to not have music, but to have a speech over the, all of that. So even though I didn't yeah, really comprehend it as I was watching it. Um, uh, I really, it, it set the tone, like the mood. And I mean, hearing you talk about the the travel guide. Yes. It, I, I, I found it com- both comical and surprising that after they were chased out of that diner and nearly killed, that Uncle George picked up the phone and called his wife and said, you know what? I think I would like you to come with me. <laughs> <laughs> I I had the, the sinking feeling that Uncle George was going to get killed. You know, from from showing him um, at the opening of Chicago with him loving his wife, and then the, that phone call to his wife, I thought the very next scene, oh, that that he's a goner for sure. Like you, you set up this character to where you kind of you feel for him, and you know he's he's saying, oh, maybe next trip you can come with me. Well, there's never going to be a next trip, right, for for Uncle George. But I I've, I was happy that that didn't happen but it, it it added to that tension you know that phone call home i mean you could he wanted her to come with him but it's not because he wanted a lovely road trip with her it's because he was almost killed and he misses her and he's thinking about her and yeah yeah that's yeah. <laughs> well, that's not funny though we gotta get the fuck out about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh 
that really went from zero to sixty in, in <laughs> half a, half a tick. <laughs> and that wasn't a pun. <laughs> something else I wanted to say, but I cannot remember what it was. <laughs> Obviously, the travel guide is based on the that Green Book, which became a movie mm-hmm. that uh, I haven't Oscar. seen. <laughs> I did. It did. Yeah. My people were upset about that. I can't remember what they wanted to win, but they didn't want the Green Book to win. Well, the Green Book was all right. Um, it, it was told from um, Vigo Mortensen's uh, the the character Tony Lips um, perspective. So it wasn't told from the black perspective. It was told from the white perspective. And I think you know people were a little upset that hey, you, you really shouldn't you know highlight this movie because it's it. It's not telling the complete story. I mean, it's, it's telling the story, but from the wrong perspective. I think that's that's what the controversy was. I think it was that, and there was also something to do with the family, like not agreeing with... Yeah, the portrayal of Dr. And, Shirley, yeah. Yeah, and something like... Anyway, we're not here to talk about Green Book, but it was <laughs> a thing to... As, a, as a, a travel guide for people of color in the Jim Crow era to avoid yeah. certain traps oh that's what i wanted to say you were you were talking about like the like the traps to avoid but they're there's they're everywhere like even when atticus is is trying to tell the sheriff like to be deferential and be polite and say okay you can you can search my car search my car he's like oh did you did you all hear what that n-word said <laughs> he, he gave me permission to search his car and leticia's like oh on man like fuck you <laughs> and also how stupid Atticus like she was like god like don't you know better than to but you but you don't like you try and you're gonna like they're out to get you so it's all a trap it's all designed to trap you it's all it's all a gotcha game for for certain that's what the sundown towns were just a, a clever little gotcha trap yeah mm. yeah I did uh, some research on sundown towns right because I, I was aware of sundown towns but I, I always assumed that they were in the South, right? So I'm, I'm showing my ignorance. You know, here they are in Massachusetts. Surely, you know, suntown, sundown towns don't exist in Massachusetts. But so, so I, I asked Google. Uh, I did some research. Um, so one thing I asked, and um, um, the, the major hits uh, all pointed to a guy, James Lowen, a sociologist who taught at the University of Vermont, uh, wrote a book in 2005 called Sundown Towns, A Hidden Dimension of the American Racism. And um, he documented thousands of sundown towns throughout the United States, including New England. And it's, he, he defined it as any, any town that kept out not just black people, but Jews, Catholics, Greeks, Italians, Native Americans, trade unionists, and gays. And uh, the towns used violence and intimidation and restrictive mortgage practices. I guess that makes sense. If you if you don't want people to live there, you prevent them from buying land and buying houses there. Um, an example, uh, a 1940 deed in West Hartford, Connecticut said, no person of any race except the white race shall use or occupy any building or on any lot. And another example, uh, Manchester by the sea in Massachusetts only allowed blacks and Jews to live within the borders if they were servants of white residents. So yes, yeah. sundown towns in New England did exist. And there's, um, uh, there's like a map of the United States and, you know, lists all the, all the towns in each state. Um, 
So I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to that one as well when, when it comes out. So it's not just the ones that want you to be out after dark. It's, um, it's just anywhere that has restrictive practices. Yeah. Because yeah. this state, the state I live in, Oregon, was started as a, a white sanctuary state. So you only if you only live here if you were you know, like a servant or a maid or if you weren't white. And there's a town nearby Portland that still, I guess, has some of those restrictions on the books. But I guess they don't really enforce it. But the neighbors are kind of unfriendly. <laughs> it's called Lake Oswego, which... A nickname for it is Lake No Negro, which some people call it that. Because if you're not a member of the Portland Trailblazers, you're pretty much not welcome there. And um, I do know that Jackie Robinson um, bought a house in, I believe, Maine, uh, yeah. in an all-white neighborhood, and that was that was kind of. But he, at that point, he was, you know, um, the most popular black man in America. Um, so yeah, he, he kind of broke the, the race barrier for that, but he, that, you know, where, where he settled yeah. was definitely one of those towns. You just gotta be a celebrity and then people will accept it. Yeah. I mean, American school systems are terrible because I did not know about sundown towns, just like I didn't know about black wall street when Watchmen premiered. So yep. good job, American education system. <laughs> Yeah, I knew about. I knew there were places that were unwelcoming, but I didn't know there were places where they, had, you know, you're legally not to be allowed to be there after sundown. Until I read this book like two weeks ago, uh, I started this book two weeks ago. But, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know about Tulsa until Watchmen as well. It's amazing how much history is just ignored and papered over and now hbo is teaching us <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> hbo for it's not tv it's hbo it's an education mm-hmm. well i'll i'll tell you anyone who follows the um, the hooplecast facebook page you know i, I kind of list everything that i've been watching recently and so the american history and racism as uh, told through recent entertainment so i i watched this year's disney plus's uh hamilton right featuring a diverse cast uh, as the founding fathers. Uh, uh, last year's HBO Watchmen, which opening scene was the, the Tulsa massacre in 1921. Um, HBO's Perry Mason, which, um, you know, 1932 is the setting for that. Uh, HBO's plot against America, 1940 to 1942. Uh, this one, H.P. Lovecraft, 1953. Uh, Netflix's Umbrella Academy, uh, set in 1960 through 1963 in Dallas, Texas. Um, so I'm, I'm getting my history lesson, and they all seem to kind of focus on um, you know, racism in America and kind of we're, we're tr- starting to uncover, the, uncover this you know, hidden past. Um, and all, you know, this is all within the last year. Yeah. That, 2019, 2020. So yeah, Act Two was was definitely powerful, definitely moving. Uh, I kind of hope that that continues on through the series. That um, you know, you kind of layer in that that thing. I don't I don't know if that's going to be true or not. If it's an anthology and told from it's, different perspectives, it's definitely true. Like, do you want really brief? <laughs> no, no, non-specific don't. spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell me. That's that's just my hope is that um, they don't 
this isn't a one-off episode. This, 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 it's the point of the book. The point of the book is to, is side by side to show like what's, what's more dangerous and, and what's, or what's scarier or, or they equal like the unseen world of supernatural of ghosts and monsters or like your white neighbors. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of like, that's, that's it. Or like if you could cast a spell and like live in someone else's shoes like would you and what would you sacrifice and what would you give up and like understand you know i'm getting i'm too too specific but because <laughs> there's an episode like that um i said i did did you want to know and then i no. proceeded to tell you anyway <laughs> but um you know they they use magic and supernatural stuff to to illustrate a, a point just like um buffy used to do with adolescence and high school life and put that side by side with monsters there you go that's what that's what this is. This is the monsters that are real and those that are fictional, and that and also, as I said, um, people like Atticus and Letitia, who are members of a science fiction club, having to square their appreciation of a of, of a certain author or a group of authors with who they really were as people, mm-hmm. and and just all of it. You know, it's a, it's a whole interconnected thing, and I'm really excited that this became a show. Is that brings us to act three the the full-on horror with the monsters showing up jumping out of the woods complete with a, a cabin in the woods i <laughs> yeah it's like wow <laughs> really going full on with this uh the horror trope <laughs> yeah i mean it's leaning into its pulpiness like the paperback novel right when you i don't know if you've seen a the cover of the book but it's like even the the cover of it is like it looks like an old paperback right. with um the way they've used, I don't know if I, how to describe it, but they've sort of like faded out the edges of the, of the book. So even if it's a brand new copy of the book, it looks like it's well worn. You know, it's intentionally looks like it's aged. So it's like, it's a pulp novel. So expect pulpy horror monster gore it, along with high minded stuff. Like there's room for both. So I think, uh, fans of Netflix's Stranger Things would like, Act three, because it was you're kind of lost in the woods, running from monsters. It's it's just fun. You there's blood being splattered everywhere. There's so much blood. <laughs> the, the the main characters get drenched. They're they're wearing white shirts, and then they you know they come out you know, wearing all red. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just so much blood. <laughs> I was but watching I, like a, I don't know if it was a reaction video of the trailer of the episode or review or something, but he's like. It's the Demogorgon. I'm like, guys, you know that monsters existed before Stranger Things, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) how familiar are the two of you with H.P. Lovecraft novel short stories? I don't think you wrote novels, but short stories. Not really. No. So I've listened. I've I've listened to all his stories. You know, I did the the audio book version and listened to all his stories. Um, so I, I'm familiar with all his works and kind of the the tropes. Um, uh, his his main characters are not really heroes. You know, they're they're scientists or researchers. You know, historians. They're they're not really the the muscular brawny type. I get, I guess they they represent H.P. Lovecraft himself, who who was kind of a, a nerdy looking guy. Um, but uh, it, and they're always feigning. Every time they see something uh, that that cannot be uh, described, they they faint and wake up a little bit later. Well, it's too much for the brain to handle. Yep. 
Like we, you, it's so terrifying to look at it will make you pass out. <laughs> I can't remember the the most recent one that I've read, um, but it wasn't the hero of the story. But they were out like hunting this monster that was like invisible, and for a brief moment, it was visible. And like one of the guys was like, "There's so many eyes where there shouldn't be eyes," and it was like, "Ah, he fainted." <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I, that's my favorite thing about his mythology and the stories that he writes is just this idea that there's this unseen world and it exists superimposed upon our own and there's a very thin veil. And if you are so unfortunate to to see through it, you will go insane because (laughs) humans are not meant to conceive these eldritch gods. And I don't know if either of you played Bloodborne. But that's a PS4 game. But there's a point in that game where your character gains insight. It's a game mechanic. You keep gaining insight. But eventually you have so much that all of a sudden you see these creatures that have been hanging on the sides of buildings. This entire time, these giant things, celestial beings, have been occupying the same space as you. You just couldn't see them. Mm -hmm. And that's a very Lovecraft idea. So I I do like some of his stories. I think the Escape from Innsmouth story is my favorite. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. The Innsmouth Shadow over Innsmouth. That's what it is. Escape from Innsmouth is the Mansions of Madness scenario that you can play if you buy the <laughs> Mansions of Madness board game. <laughs> but um, there's so many Lovecraft board games. Yeah, I've played the Call of Cthulhu role playing game. A couple, couple different times, which is like that. You you create a character, usually some collector of strange things, right? Or you know, doctor of questionable repute, and you just kind of go on this um, this mystery, and of course face face down the uh, monsters and uh, and probably die or go insane. Go insane, yeah. There's hardly any deaths. It's just you go insane, and you know, it's playing a death in the board game. It's, it's very hard to win those games. It's nearly impossible. And when you go online, like Board Game Geek, and you say, "Is this game a little too hard?" They'll go, "No, nah, it's just H.P. Lovecraft. Like that's just that's it's right. thematic that you always lose." I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> hardly seems fair. Uh, there's a podcast called the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Yep. And I highly recommend it. They have like 500 episodes, but each episode they walk you through the story, uh, a story of his. And uh, it's a pretty enjoyable podcast. Although I will say that early on, they're ki- they kind of defended him as a person going, yeah, he was racist, but really no more than anybody else during that time. <laughs> I don't know about that because I read the poem. <laughs> and it, it takes you about a minute to read that poem. It's a very short poem. Um, what, what is it called? On the Origin of Something? Mm-hmm. It, it's, something. Uh, it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's, it's probably worse than you think. You think it's going to be bad? It's worse. Yeah, they they mention it. They they mention the title in this episode. They they don't go into specifics what it is, but uh, yeah, you you can kind of imagine. And uh, uh, that that was you know his Tick's father's main concern with it. It's like yeah, you you have to memorize this this one poem from H.P. Lovecraft because this this really tells you what this guy's about. Look it um, up, read it, just make sure you yeah. clear your browser history after it, um, <laughs> so no one gets the wrong idea. So Act 3, um, I had a question about Act 3, and I, I don't know if I want you guys to answer it, but you know, I was wondering if Tick's imagination is influencing reality, right? 
because um, uh, there, there was three instances. Uh, Tick mentions Shagath right as the sheriff uh, arrives, uh, and then they're quickly attacked by Shagath-looking monsters, right? Uh, two, Uncle George mentions the children in the night, uh, what music they make, which is a quote from Bram Stoker's Dracula. And then suddenly the, the monsters are afraid of the light, right? I mean, vampires are afraid of light. So now these monsters are afraid of light. Um, and uh, three, just like vampires, uh, the, the bite victim, the sheriff, uh, turns into a monster, Right. So it, but it wasn't until Tick had those things in his mind that they actually happened on screen. So I'm, I'm wondering if he's able to uh, warp reality. And I don't know if I, I need that answer right now, but it, it was a question that I had. It seemed to, to line up every time that Tick had something in his mind, um, something happened in reality. Interesting. <laughs> he also has a special destiny backstory family yeah birthright they they mentioned a birthright right yeah he comes to that mansion and they're like oh we've been expecting you or welcome home or something like there's there's something with his family and his lineage that could suggest that he has some ability i genuinely do not remember because i read the book a long time ago so not a long time ago but like two years ago year and a half ago so I don't remember really. I couldn't even answer that question. Hmm. But I it was did jump out as a coincidence when that yeah. monster showed up, and, and especially with the opening with a dream sequence. So it's it's Tick's dream. He's seeing all these wild things in his mind, and then you know his mind has the ability to put things into reality. I'm I'm waiting for the Jackie Robinson uh, Deus Ex Machina. If, if he shows up <laughs> with a bat. Um, in 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 reality, that that that'll be the thing. He'll go. How did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> Will it be the real Jackie Robinson or just? No, it'll a, be a, a, a figment. Yeah, it'll be uh, a projection. Yeah, <laughs> I think it'd be better if it was the real Jackie. Robinson. <laughs> That's how he could bring what's your face from Korea over. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that the epilogue where you know they walk up to the mansion and the guy says "Welcome home." That mansion reminded me so much of uh, Adrian Veidt's mansion on Europa from uh, HBO's Watchmen. Mm. <laughs> it's the same like, one. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if there's uh, trees growing tomatoes, um, I'm, I won't be surprised. <laughs> A lake full of babies. <laughs> Oh yeah, what was Mister Phillips and Mrs. Crankshaw? Is that uh, are those uh, the two characters from yeah. Watchmen? <laughs> and uh, you you kind of saw that there was the 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 white woman with the red hat uh, stepping out of the silver car, and then this guy uh, with the blonde hair and blue eyes saying "Welcome home." So kind of kind of introducing a larger cast of characters. Um, but I was really enjoying just these three. I don't know if I really want a larger cast of characters, um, especially these, you know, weird supernatural white people. Um, I kind of like, I like it being grounded in reality with little hints of, um, you know, monsters jumping out of the trees. Right. I don't, I I don't need a a full on um, supernatural series, but we'll, we'll see how, what, what, what we get. I thought it was a well-balanced book in terms of real and supernatural. I don't know what the show is going to be. <laughs> um, and I know that her character or their 
their character, those those people in the mansion, uh, pretty minor overall, I would say. Okay, that's good. Um, well, so what I think they, is being uh, tainted in my view is um, that Watchmen, the mansion on Europa, was such a side story that I kind of didn't have anything to do with the rest of the story and it, it just kind of dragged it down. So I'm, I think I'm, I'm being influenced by, by Watchmen just looking at this mansion. Did you love that shit? That, that... <laughs> <laughs> I thought you really liked that. I did, but it, 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 it stood out. It, it was a standalone. It, it stood out from, from the rest of the story. I just don't want that to happen again. I I read at least one review that said that the second episode is the weakest of the ones that they that they released. Is what oh. I'll say, and I I'm gonna guess it's probably because it's like what you fear. All right. Um, <laughs> then hopefully it shortly pivots away from that. Because if I mean if it follows the pattern of the book, we kind of start with Atticus and his father, and then explore some other stuff, and before we come back to them to bookend the season. Which is again why I felt like the book read like a season of TV. Nice. So, so kind of tough out through the second episode, and maybe you know come back in the third episode with a little more hope. I that's what I'm planning on. I mean, I'm going to enjoy it no matter what, regardless of what the second episode is. So yeah. I'm I'm in for it. I'm I think the cast is awesome. The tone is great. It's just it's a very confident show. Like I can tell the the point of view is very strong. Um, I don't know uh, how much they were involved in it, but you know, the names on the show are Jordan Peele and JJ Abrams, so it's got good pedigree. Yeah, JJ Abrams, um Rise of Skywalker last year. Uh he's also producer on HBO's Westworld. He does a lot he's got his hands in a lot of pies. What what does he actually contribute to anything that he does is what I want to know. I think he was a big name like a decade ago. Like I'm thinking of uh, 2011 Super 8. That that was a good movie. Good and movie. Yeah. I mean, he probably has great ideas, but what – is he just cutting checks to people? Like what does he do all day? <laughs> I think he helps get stuff launched and then he goes to the next project. I think like he just – Felicity. I think Felicity was maybe the only thing he saw from beginning to end, the only TV show he saw from beginning to end. Because Lost, I think after the first season, he kind of stopped being involved with it. Um, so it was Damon and Carlton doing it mostly. Yeah, I mean, I would love the job of showing up and just like putting my two cents in about stuff and then leaving with that no responsibility or actual having work to do. <laughs> That'd be great. And then I get a check all the time for doing that. Yeah. I don't cool. see J.J. Abrams having a, a big hand in this. He, he probably is just behind this. Now, Jordan Peele, on the other hand, I, I think this is right up his alley uh, with with movies like Us and Get Out and, um, you know, the Twilight, Twilight Zone. Zone. Yeah. Where he's a, he's a producer and writer on Twilight Zone on CBS All Access. I mean, I feel like it's probably Misha Green's, like, blood, sweat, and tears that went into making the show. <laughs> and and these two guys like perhaps arranged a phone call between her and HBO. <laughs> and also there was a guy who wrote the book. <laughs> so yeah, yes. without the book, um although I don't know if they said this on the podcast that you bought or listened to is but he's a white guy, Matt Ruff. So I don't know what that means exactly, but 
obviously it's good to have different uh, people in the writer's room to ensure that things are the, authentic, I guess. Yeah. The only other thing that stuck out from that um, Lovecraft Country radio, um, they, they, they were mentioning the cabin in the woods scene um, being kind of topical right now, uh, you know, with uh, America in quarantine. Uh, everyone's stuck indoors while this monstrous virus is outdoors, right? And um, within within that context, uh, the the police are still being racist bastards, even though there's a greater threat out there. Why why you got to be racist uh, at this particular moment? And um, you know, those, some of the movement that's been happening around the world, which yeah, the <laughs> so. A little parallels there. I don't know if that was intended or not, but uh, that's... Yeah. It's, it's too bad that the show can't have, like, watch parties the way that Game of Thrones could. Like, you can't get together with six of your friends and sit down and watch this show. Unless you all live in a agreed-upon quarantine bubble. I've, I've heard of these these people who make arrangements. Like, we'll only go out with each other. Like, it's a pact. Like... We're the plague pact, but you can do a Zoom conference, a Zoom watch party. I mean, we've done that, haven't we? Will <laughs> we've watched stuff together? Yeah, not not the same. I mean, it's fun. Yeah, but I just know that there are. I mean, maybe this show is too new for someone to be like, okay, it's time to, for the premiere of Lovecraft Country. Everybody, come over to my house. We're gonna watch this. Like, I could see people going. I'm not. I don't even know what that is. I'm not going to yep. do that. <laughs> that is a good question of who this, who's the audience for this show? It's me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I imagine fans of Lovecraft see Lovecraft in the name and like, oh, I'm I'm going to watch the show, and then might be disappointed that it has nothing to do with H.P. Lovecraft directly, at least not yet. Um, he's he's just tangentially mentioned and as as a favorite writer, uh, favorite writer of uh, the main character. And uh, I guess I imagine they're they're going to not not having read the book, right? So I imagine they're going to kind of leverage the um, mythos, the Lovecraftian mythos. That, that's my with with the Shagas uh, appearing at the end of this episode. I, I think more monsters will will definitely appear. Um, but how much involvement um, H.P. Lovecraft will have? Like he would hate this show. The, the the writer would hate the show. So if it's fans of H.P. Lovecraft, you know, I, I don't know if um I don't know if they're the right audience of this show. But um, I'm yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it for for other reasons. Yep, I think we covered everything. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely get together again. I don't know if it's going to be after the next episode, or we do every other episode, or just the finale. I certainly enjoy talking about the show. Yeah, and it's like I'm trying to like withhold. <laughs> <laughs> what I, you know, what I know is coming, and so this this is the opposite situation when we reviewed Watchmen, where I yeah. I, I read the comic book and kind of knew some of the background, and um, <laughs> had to had to reserve my my comments. Right, this is a reverse Watchmen. <laughs> Watchmen, obviously, a more influential, important book that was very. Um, I got the impression very important to you. Oh yeah, a seminal oh, yeah. book. Um, for me, I just really liked reading Lovecraft Country and saw the possibilities in it. And that it, I felt like it was over too fast and like I could see this being a series. And that's why I'm excited for it.
but I don't, I have more of a um, attachment to its point of view than the text itself. So I'm hope, very hopeful that season two, I'm sure it'll be renewed because I, I apparently got really good ratings. So are we sure it's going to be a second season? Cause HBO's doing a lot of one and done series now. I'm not sure the ratings were like like they did the Stephen King book Outsiders earlier this year and Sharper Objects and I mean I would love to see it continue I just don't know what the plan is if they have a if they have a plan I don't know if they have a plan but I feel fairly confident that they're hoping that this will be a a, a new tentpole show for them and that they probably realize that they need something to be a tentpole show and that there's enough material here that they can do things with so. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Find us at hooplecast.com or go on the Facebook group, search for Hooplecast, and join our group, join our discussion group, and send us your thoughts about this show, other shows, and that's it. Oh, and listen to Spartacus, or Spartacast. Spartacast. (laughs) We finished it, so you can listen to it. It's all complete. And did we say insightful things? I don't know. Did we, Steve? <laughs> Probably not. But it doesn't matter. We had fun. You talked yeah. for a long time. That was, I think, that was the oh. longest episode that you guys ever recorded. It was talked like two and a half hours. Yeah. After truncate silence. Yeah. It, it wouldn't download over the Wi-Fi. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it was nice. Huge. <laughs> I like. I, I'm glad we did that. I, I didn't want to half-ass the last episode. I think we actually postponed it several times. Until we had enough energy between us to no, do not it for that one. I think it was the one before that we postponed a bunch of times. Mm. Maybe, maybe I don't know. It, it was four months ago. Yeah, who the <laughs> hell remembers? <laughs> All right, but no more podcasts for Will as yeah. a host. He says he's so, done. Do we now. believe that? No, no. <laughs> no. All right. I said there are like three conditions that could bring me back, but. I don't remember what they are right now. <laughs> I remember one, but not the others. Someone else edits and publishes? Well, no, it's like, oh, if there's a remake of something I've already podcasted about or relaunch, or if J. Michael Straczynski does a new show, and there's another one. I don't remember what it is right now, though. Oh. They bring back B5. Well, that would fall into the first half. If there's like a relaunch right. or remake, um, or if they bring back Sensate, or if there's a new Terminator or something like that. There'll be another Terminator. Because time Isn't it time to reboot that franchise? They already tried it once. <laughs> oh, I know that. That was a joke. <laughs> I think they've tried it more than once. Okay. This is fun. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a good night. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Bye.